Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome back to the Gospel for Life. Once again, it's Josh Bales and Jonathan Van Hoogen and myself, Russ Herman, here in the studio. We're missing Phil. Um, but we're trying to work through this whole idea of where and how do we draw the line within the church um, with disagreements with What's essential of the faith? What's secondary? How do we live together in unity with some of these differences? And yesterday we we dealt with that we need to establish the essentials of the of the faith. Um, Paul's pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, are extremely helpful. I would encourage you to read through those prayerfully um, and just think about well, where is Paul highlighting the essentials? Josh helpfully gave us four categories that I think come out in those pastoral epistles. Josh, do you want to just review those four for the listeners? Sure, yeah. So the first essential is the doctrine of God, meaning that God is Trinity and, of course, all of his attributes. The second one being that uh, the incarnation, that, that Jesus Christ is truly God, truly man, that he is the mediator for all of the elect. The third one is that um, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone plus nothing. And then the fourth one is the doctrine of Scripture, that it is inerrant, inspired, authoritative, necessary, sufficient, etc. So those are the four basic essential doctrines. The second item that Kevin DeYoung, and remember we're just basing this off an article that he wrote, and then we're just kind of going off script at times. So if there are things that you are upset about, Probably it's us, not Kevin. So uh, (laughs) just remember who... But we're teaching you how to disagree with us. (laughs) That's right. That's right. The second thing he says is listen to the communion of saints. Now, as Protestants, sometimes that that can make our attendance go up like, wait a minute, wait, we believe in Scripture alone. I mean, what? How we're going to now start talking about tradition. How do you help somebody work through this whole idea of it's okay to listen to the communion of the saints. Well, when we think about the Latin for Scripture alone, it's, it's sola, sola Scriptura. And some people, instead of putting an A on the end of that sola, they, they put an O, solo Scripture. And so they're only it's only Scripture that's going to talk to me. But that means that I'm the only interpreter of Scripture, rather than there have been faithful men before me who have interpreted these things. And so what we do is we interpret Scripture alone along with the church who has provided these interpreters through the centuries. You know, so there's, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, there truly isn't with, you know, with regard to God's Word. Everything that God has revealed has been revealed to His people and that means that you know the 1500s had it, the first century had it, and so how do we, how do we put it all together? Where they we recognize that they've actually gone to the mat over some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you think about the Nicene Creed and these guys 
showing up. Some of them showed up uh, with their eyes gouged out, and some of them showed up, you know, having suffered beatings for the faith. And so they were standing there saying, this is what I died for. Mm-hmm. And so we want to believe what faithful men have passed on. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the sola, sola, solo kind of thing. So how can this idea of listening to the communion of the saints practically help us as we deal with different issues in our own day? So you mean like, how can we, if we listen to the voices of the the church in the past, how can that help us? Yes. Well, I would say, you know, Jonathan brought up the Nicene Creed. The, the churches in the past have have dealt with the same heresies that we deal with today. And so, for instance, um, like the heresy that's in Jehovah's Witnessism, you know, that um, that Jesus is the first and great, uh, first and greatest created being. Uh, that was the ancient heresy of Arianism, and so we can go back to uh, the Nicene Creed and read what the early church fathers uh, said about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we, in other words, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. And let me let me give you a quick defense, real quick, because this is where Jonathan went. But just in case you know, listeners are like me, I, I don't think very well sometimes. When Jesus said that he will um, leave a remnant on earth and that the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. One of the things that means is that since Jesus left, there will always be a faithful witness of the church on earth. And Jesus gave apostles apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers in every age. And it, it's chronological snobbery to say, I'm only, I'm only going to listen to the church of my age. Well, where do you find that in scripture that should only listen to my contemporaries? That's that's foolishness. N- nobody else does that in any other discipline. If I'm a scientist, I listen to the scientists that have gone before me and I build truth upon them. And the same thing is true about theology. So the first thing that the communion of saints will do to it for us is it helps us identify and address different errors. Because in essence, most errors are just repackaged. What's another way in which they they help? I would just say that my gut feeling is if somebody introduces something that is brand new, is brand new, it's novel. I reject it out of hand. I don't really even give it hardly any credence or thought. So if anybody writes a book and says, in essence, this is incredible. Nobody uh, thought of this before. Yeah. What what Paul really said is is a, a book title, and it actually subverts everything that we understand about justification by faith alone. You know, justification, Paul was never talking about justification. So it's it's novel. Somehow one person figured out this and the rest of the church has missed this for, you know, 2,000 years. You know, we were talking yesterday about what Wait, we're... Uh, just real quick on that. Like when you have the phrase new perspective on Paul, mm-hmm. at, right out of the chute, you should say, wait, a new perspective? Mm-hmm. Are you really saying that for 2,000 2, years, everybody read Paul incorrectly, and now we have the true reading of Paul? Yeah. Well, that should set alarms off in your head and say, mm-hmm. this is wrong. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. No, you're, you're fine. I was, I was just going to say, we were talking about the essentials yesterday, and, and you know, if for somebody who maybe they can't remember what those four doctrinal statements were that Josh shared with us, but you may be aware of the Apostles' Creed, and and the Apostles' Creed is an ecumen. We call it an these are the ecumenical creeds. These are what 
Protestants have believed and and the things that we hold in common with a number of churches, some of whom we may not be in uh, agreement with about other things, but these are the baselines. You know, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. There are these I believe statements. You go through each one of those, and it's a Trinitarian statement, which goes to Josh's first point, and then it talks about the work of each uh, uh, each person of the Godhead, um, believing in God as the creator, uh, believing in G- Jesus. So you got his incarnation and his suffering on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension and the fact that he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. You believe in the Holy Spirit and his formation of the church, uh, the, the forgiveness of sins, that, uh, the resur- you know, he's going to give life to our resurrected bodies. <clears throat> yeah. those, are, those are essentials that we ought to keep pushing people back to. Mm-hmm. Now, what, now what we have to be concerned is when people get off the reservation and it's not connected to any of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one is helps us with heresy. Two, it helps us to be wary, extremely wary of anything that's novel or new being introduced. And then third, I think it helps us with saying if all of a sudden people begin to reject that which has been historically accepted, um, that should raise some red flags. Was how many years ago was it that Rob Bell? was kind of the new like flash ten, in the pan. 10, 12 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And he basically... Um, Erasing hell. Was, he erased he, hell. He, yeah, that was his whole point. Wait a minute. For 2,000 years, the church yeah. accepted yeah. the existence of hell, and now all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, oh, no, that's not actually... Yeah. Well, once again, if all of a sudden we're flipping on a position that has historically held true... Yeah. And we recognize what happened to that trajectory. Yeah. I mean... it. You know, he took one doctrine, erased it, and then every, and then he erased all the others too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I've grown up in Boise my whole life, and you know, um, I feel like I, I, I understand our culture a little bit. There's a very anti-tradition, anti-creed, anti-confessional atmosphere here, and it's, it's really kind of irrational, because um, if I'm anti-creed or anti-confessional. Um, then what that essentially is saying that the presupposition underneath there is I'm going to reject anything that's said by man. Mm-hmm. Because if I reject the things of the past that were said by man, then what would stop me from rejecting the things of the present that are said by man? Mm-hmm. Which means at the end of the day that I'm relegated to only reading the exact words of Scripture with nothing else added to it. So if you are anti-creed or anti-confessional, you should only be going to a church that only reads the word of God and doesn't teach and doesn't preach. But of course, that immediately exposes the problem because the scripture tells us to teach and preach. Well, what are creeds and confessions? They're essentially teachings and sermons put down on paper. So it is just, it's irrational to be anti-creed because you're anti-church history, you're anti-teachers of the past. So please think about your position. Just real quickly before we run out of time, I, I think the other area that the communion of saints helps us is with this whole idea of if there are godly men in the past that have held varying positions on issues, um, and that's been true for a long time, um, I think that should give us pause for being overly dogmatic on those particular issues. Mm-hmm. So we have been disagreeing over baptism for basically 400 years. Well, 
it was a settled opinion up until about 400 years ago. Yeah, but, but godly men disagree with us that are sitting in the studio today on, on baptism. Well, that doesn't mean that we don't think we're right. Of course we think we're right, or otherwise we would hold the other position. Yeah. However, it does help us pause in those discussions mm-hmm. to say, this might not be an essential doctrine. Mm-hmm. Not it's essential a, to salvation. Essential to salvation. And it should allow us to be more gracious in those conversations to say, yes, we disagree. I'm going to temper how strongly I'm going to engage with you on this particular issue. Yeah. And there are other issues. You guys can jump in with those. Well, you know, eschatology. Uh, it, was, it was already brought up, you know, about how the creeds and confessions might help us. And we need to realize those things were, those things are in Scripture as well. There are what we might call creedal statements. They were, these were confessional statements. You, you mentioned one the other day, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's a creedal statement. Paul uses creedal statements in, in Colossians, and, you know, these are, you know, you can detect it. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There is a creedal statement there. We could go through and find a number of them to realize that the church put some things in, you know, and Scripture does too, puts things in, you know, it's, it's almost like it's a, you know, summarized statement so that um, it can be passed on. And we'll pick this up tomorrow. See you then. 